Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. Today, we spoke with Lillian Gray Charles, who beautifully merges her personal styling work with energy healing to help women find their authentic self-expression, allow themselves to take up space, and enhance their relationship with life. In today's podcast, she walks us through the different components of the journey that birthed her robust practice, from healing trauma to consciously navigating social media, and how she tackles the energetics of being an entrepreneur. To follow Lillian, you can find her on Instagram. Her handle is at Lillian Gray Charles, and that is gray with an A. And you can also find Lillian and get more information on her practice in our mental health resources page on prettymental.com. So taking a deep breath with us. Come fully into this moment and press play. Lillian, welcome to Pretty Mental. Yeah, it's so good to have you. So good to have you. This is long overdue. I'm really, really, really stoked to be on here with you guys. And um, I remember at one point Valentina saying that um, you guys were like being extremely choosy about who you have on the podcast. And I was like, good for y'all. So when I, when you, I received the um, invitation to be on it, I was like, oh, I'm so honored mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you for letting me be here with you guys today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We're so excited because, you know, as we were talking about before we started officially recording was you are such an incredibly vulnerable and strong woman that it's so inspiring for Paula and I when we ever we go on your Instagram, which is where we see all of your posts and just how you move around in the world, how supportive you are of other women. You're constantly bringing up everyone who's around you. Um, And we wanted to talk a little bit about how you got to this unique position that you're in in your life right now. So I introduced myself as a personal stylist um, who also focuses on energy healing. Um, and, that, and that to me, since I have become a certified Reiki practitioner, has become abundantly clear that um, this work goes so hand in hand with the clothing and the aura and the way that we self-present that it's almost impossible for me to separate the two now. So personal stylist and energy healer is um, the two, two roles that I'm embracing now. That's, it's so cool because for so long in this narrative still, it's still pretty um, pervasive that if you're going to be spiritual, you can't be materialistic, or if you're going to be like into wellness, you, you can't be super focused on how you look and uh, and so people end up suppressing parts of themselves absolutely yeah so true yeah i i definitely struggled with that just b- based on i was actually doing my nursing prerequisite after undergrad and um i have a lot of family that are in healthcare and my sister at the time when i had just finished college was working um, for an organization that helped children get out of sex trafficking. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going into this like materialistic world where it's about clothes and it's about, you know, buying things. And I had a lot of shame around that in the beginning. Um, But the more that I dove into why I was changing from one career path to another, it was, it was the same foundation, which was to really serve women to really feel good in their bodies. And so I got rid of that after about a year of, okay, this is my focus and I'm okay with this being my focus, even though it doesn't look like the service 
service heart that other people have. And can you talk a bit about how you merge energy healing into your styling work? The more that I have incorporated energy work into styling, um, I'm able to really see aspects of, of women that, you know, they don't, whether they're hiding it verbally. And then I take a look into their energy field and I'm like, this is also present. And they're like, yeah, I really want to explore that in my clothes, you know? <laughs> you know, I'll say like, there's actually the softness to you that, um, that you're not really showing in your wardrobe. And they're like, that's because I'm afraid to show that or I feel weak if I show that. And so it becomes this whole conversation of how do you integrate um, all parts of you? And so... As a personal stylist, I look at you know all parts, and then I also am constantly like searching the web, particularly now since we go, can't go into retail stores, and and always looking at what's coming up available from all different brands and all different price points, so that I can show women how would it feel to try this on, and hold it next to this other thing that is also true. Yeah, that's so interesting actually, because as you were talking, it it really just dawned on me that oh, there's a lot of ourselves that you know, I would say not a lot of people are walking around being fully seen with their soul. And that completely translates to their wardrobe as well. So if you're not going to allow your soul to be fully seen, of course, it would make sense that you're not going to allow all external parts of you be fully seen, or you're going to maybe dull it down or dull it down. There's There's a lot of trauma out there around not feeling seen. And I think when we internalize that, we end up acting it out and muting the way that we present ourselves to the world. So I think that it, it's, it's, so, it's so cool to me how you really bring out this notion that wardrobe, ultimately how we choose to decorate ourselves and close ourselves is an extension of our body and, totally. and that you want to help women feel more comfortable in their bodies because we were, in fact, we were just listening to two trauma specialists, Peter Levine and Bessel van der Kolk, talk about this, how if we don't feel okay in our bodies, trauma stands no chance of healing. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I, I definitely went through that, you know, um, in my own journey in college, um, I experienced trauma and because I didn't feel okay in my body, I punished my body. I would skip classes to work out all the time. It wasn't, it wasn't the healthy working out that I do now. It was this punishment aspect of things. And then um, it didn't really show up in clothes, but it definitely showed up in disordered eating and disordered exercising. Of, And it wasn't until I started, you know, there's so many layers of ourselves. And so I started healing my body and healing my mind. And then later, years later, I started healing my gut. And that, you know, so there's all of these things that sometimes people go like, is the work ever over? I don't think it is. Um, There's always new levels. Yeah. But I think that I look at that as being really exciting. Like, oh, here's a new piece of myself that I'm meeting. Um, And my ideal client is certainly someone that has done, you know, that has already gotten on this journey of, okay, I've looked at this one layer of my life. I've looked at this layer of my life. Now I'm ready to look at this layer of my life. Um, someone that's already open to the fact that like, this isn't just about your appearance. This is about how you self-present. What would you say to, you know, I, I think men and women in our society both experience a lot of pressures to look a certain way. And for women, a lot of our value historically has been placed on how we look. So there is a lot of like convoluted energy around placing importance on our appearance. So I I see it go both ways. Like we tend to go to extremes with it. There are people that have a healthier relationship with it, but I'm not sure that it's the norm right now. So it's either I'm going to like just be super just low key and almost blend in. I'm not, I don't want to value myself based on how I look because women have been oppressed by that for so many years. And I just want to, you know, my intellect, whatever the case is, or heavily relying on how we are presenting ourselves. Yeah. Overly filtered, overly made up, overly, yes, waist trainers, all the, all the things, you know, it's, um, and I actually would look at that and say, where, where would you desire to fall on the spectrum? Um, and that's the same thing that I ask when people, 
you know, say like, I feel so horrible about myself. It's really hard for me to think about feeling really good about myself. And I'm always asking people, where's the center? Where's the middle of the pendulum? And for that case, that scenario, it's just that I'm okay. It's not that I'm freaking phenomenal. I'm the best person in the world. And it's not that I'm the worst person in the world and everybody hates me. It's just in the middle is like, I'm okay. I'm neutral. I'm safe. And so I think you have to find your, I'm okay, I'm neutral, I'm safe. This is what feels good to me. Um, I definitely struggle with that. Um, you know, some days I, I am like Valentina, like I just want to be so comfortable, no makeup. And then other days I'm like, I want to put on every product in my bathroom, you know, and I, I go through different waves of that. Um, but I, I think we have to, ask ourselves when we're buying into ideas of clothing or of plastic surgery or whatever, like what, what is the outcome that I'm looking for? Is it to feel more accepted by myself? Is it to feel more accepted by others? Is it to heal a past trauma? Is it to, you know, and then what are the steps that I'm taking emotionally, mentally to grapple with that, that are not, in, in my opinion, this, the doing the clothes stuff is really a quick fix. It's a surface. It doesn't really heal as deeply as something like energy healing or therapy. Um, although it's therapeutic work, um, you have to ask yourself what the outcome is going to bring you and then circle back to, is this the only way to, to get that outcome? Mm. This is the healthiest way to get that outcome. That's why your work brings up so much curiosity for me because the reality is that we live in a very consumerist society and at the same time you know people that are on the spectrum of like oh just all like health and wellness a lot of times you hear the narrative of like you just kind of have to shun all of that but that's not realistic because that is the world that we live in so what I'm seeing you do is come to terms with the fact that that's the world that we live in and how can we have a healthier relationship with it yeah, I don't even remember the account that I was following. She had hundreds of thousands of followers and she started doing these t-shirts that were like all about accepting your wrinkles and very much shaming anyone that was doing any, you know, skin anti-aging kind of stuff, you know, very, very aggressive verbiage. And then she had one about like having gray hair and how like we should all have gray hair. And I just remember looking at that going, okay, my hair is going totally gray and I'm super cool with it. That's like my plan is going gray, but I also get facials and I get Botox. So this is the medium that I've, I'm, I'm cool with one thing and I want to prolong the, you know, elasticity or whatever of my skin or, or make it look a certain way. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not going to let this outside message of this one person dictate how I'm going to feel about the rest of it. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it is very black and white. I'm, I'm thankful that I have found my medium. And I want to talk a little bit about your vulnerability on Instagram and how, as Paul and I were saying that it's, that takes courage. Yeah. Because we talk, we talk on the podcast after the fact, when we've had like emotional breakdowns or yeah, we're like last week I was like a mess, but like to put it like on Instagram. Yeah, like in when real time. In, yeah, in real time when we're upset. This is the same though. If you guys are talking about it on your podcast, how is that different? Like to me, podcast is almost like an extension of social media. So you, what I've seen you do is like in real time, in real time, when you're in it, you'll say, this is how I feel. And that takes a lot of courage because people are going to, you know, people go on there and they're looking for something to react to, something to respond to. So there's people that are going to see you do that and they're going to be like, hell yeah, go, go for it because they're comfortable with their vulnerability. A lot of people are not. So there's people that are going on there to look for opportunities to judge. So to put yourself out there so courageously when you're in that vulnerable, soft place, I think is what so many of us are afraid to do because that's a place that we don't want touched when we're in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be like the most cliche thing that's ever been on your podcast, but I really do believe that the wound is where the light enters you. And to me, when my wounds are more exposed, it's like I'm releasing them. I'm opening them up to have, and it's not, and I don't mean um, 
opening them up for other people's feedback because I could give two shits less whether these get 10 likes or one comment or whatever they got today. I, I don't care. Um, what I'm putting out there is for me. <laughs> and so I'm releasing these stories and I'm retelling them almost like I'm writing my own book. My mom always tells me, she's like, when you're ready to write your book, you'll just go to your Instagram post and you'll just, <laughs> post and you'll just make each chapter and you'll look at the ones that people responded to most. And I'm always like, or I'll look at the ones that are the most important to me because that's what I want to write about, not what people are reacting to the most. Um, and so, yeah, selfishly, my writing is, is for me. It's for me to release and to expand and to open up. And, and in the process, I'm really thankful that, um, that the stories and the wounds that I share, um, that they resonate with people is, is a bonus. Um, one thing I've shared with a couple of close friends is that, and I shared again on Instagram in real time on the stories that sometimes when I share really deep kind of darker things about myself, people are really quick to go like, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. And it's, and, and to, again, today I got on and I was like, dear Jesus, I am not looking for your pity please read to the end of the story where there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and that is, that's the share. Um, if you're going to take away anything, it's that. I saw people saying, I'm so sorry. Said, um, I saw I that and I felt, and I'm like, mm. but that's what people think they need to, that's people don't know how to, in the society, we just, we're not, often trained or ready or even aware of how to respond to emotional vulnerability. It's almost like, oh my God, you're emotionally vulnerable. Like, uh, um, I'm so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. This is horrible. You must need something because there's something wrong with you because something bad happened to you. Well, guess what? Fucking bad things happen to everybody. And it's, and I'm telling the story about the kickback. I mean, the comeback. And um, I also think that when people read stories like mine and they immediately attach themselves to the, the drama part of it, it's because that's kind of what they thrive on. They're there, that's, those are the people that watch like Lifetime movies because they're so dramatic and they don't really care about the ending. They just wanna be like, they, they wanna see like the exciting drama and it's, to me, the exciting drama is getting to write something new and getting to start over. That's the exciting, awesome part. Yeah, for you, it's, I'm on here and I'm being real. Like, this is what it looks like to show up as a full human being. Hey guys, yeah, I went through trauma. This is part of the human experience. It's, it's not, there's something so, I think minimizing is the word or invalidating when people say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've definitely heard that so many times as, as many women have. And I just, and I, for a long time, used to say, it's okay. And then I also heard people talk about their scenarios, whether it was, you know, losing a family member or whatever. They say, I'm grateful for the loss because it taught me this. And that didn't feel right either. And so I've started saying, um, I understand why this happened to me. Instead of I'm grateful for it or it's okay, but just I understand that in the grander, larger cosmic picture of why things happen the way they happen, I understand. Doesn't mean I'm glad it happened, but I understand it. This takes us into the conversation on grief, which is actually happening. I mean, grief is super present right now, so it's really relevant. And I think when people, I think it's irritating on some level when people tell us that they're sorry, they mean well, people mean well when they say that. But when they say that in response to like a trauma that we experience or, or a great loss, you, like you said in that moment, you almost feel the urge to say it's okay. So it's almost like it becomes about them. It's neutral. It's not that it's okay, which is positive. It's just, it is what it is. Period. Yeah. You know, and I think that also makes people uncomfortable. They're like, well, now what do I say? Now how to respond to someone that isn't taking this seriously or isn't, and it's like, maybe I've neutralized the whole scenario because it's not happening right now. 
And so I can tell the story without this deep emotional conflict. My parents can't, um, but I've worked on this scenario so much through so much healing and therapy and prayer and movement and that it's neutral to me now. I think as a society, we have trouble sitting with each other in the discomfortable dark parts of being human. We have, we have trouble sitting there. So especially I think if we don't know how to sit there with ourselves and haven't experienced great loss and know what it's like to hold that place super tenderly and somebody else shows us like, oh, I went through this really dark place and people almost want to pull you out of it. Oh, totally. And I know my mother will listen to this podcast and I love her dearly. Um, there are times when even when I was home for four weeks, I, I cried over something that felt like a loss. And she was just, come here, come here, come here. And I said, mom, I, I, can, I can actually hold myself. And it doesn't mean anything against you or bad towards you or that you can't hold me correctly. But like, I can actually hold me correctly. And, and I'm okay. I'm, I'm, this is part of like what I need to do to release is just cry. And so I don't need to stop crying. And I, I, I love your support, but I don't need it to heal. I need my own support to heal. Right. And you need to like let everything out and let all those tears flow. I was listening to a podcast with David Kessler, who is a grief expert. And he was saying that when you're with someone who's dealing with grief, a way that you can handle it is by just maybe holding their hand or just being in front of them and saying, like, this is going to be really shitty. And just know that I'm going to be here with you the whole way. And soon something really shitty is going to happen to me. And you'll be here for me when it happens. So, you know, not minimizing that, oh, like it's shitty, but like it's going to get, it's going to pass through, whatever. It's just saying like, my dad is, uh, he's an emergency room doctor. And um, so he, you know, had to tell a lot of people that, you know, their family members died in a car accident or they, you know, had to be taken off of life support or something like that. And, um, to have, he hasn't practiced medicine in like 15 years. Um, but people from all over our community would come up to my siblings and I and say like, your dad was able to hold my grief in a way that I didn't even know was possible using that kind of scenario. I think sometimes, and, and I don't judge other people for saying this, but sometimes you, and I've said it too, one foot in front of the other. It's like, sometimes you just need to stand still <laughs> just two feet side by side and, and not move forward, backward, side to side, just be right where you are and feel that grief. That reminds me of one time when I was, I was going through something and I like, I'm, I'm, I rebounded pretty quickly. And then Paula called me a week later and she was like, Hey, did you actually ever like feel what happened? Like, are you, did you like grieve it? And it's, yeah, it's, we, we're as a society, we're not trained to, to grieve it. And that energy doesn't go anywhere. It just gets stuck in our body. And then it ends up becoming traumas that we have to deal with later on in life. And that's when we see anxiety and panic attacks happen. Right. It's like when we we see people crying or emoting and it's almost like, Oh my God, I need to get you. You're suffering right now. I need to get you out of there. But actually you're releasing. I, I, I say that to clients all the time. Like when the tears start coming, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Like let them come, let them come, let them come. Right. We think we have to stop it. We think we have to pull people out of it. And that's, that's why we don't know how to move through grief as a culture. That's what we need to heal. Yeah, it's like, let me, let me come pull you out of your healing. Wait, what? I'm crying. I'm healing. I'm literally healing my body and my mind and my spirit. Please don't pull me out of it. I think I'm going to start telling people that if they try to tell me to stop crying. And I've also told Valentina this. We were talking about acupuncturists once. And um, at this point in my life, I was teaching a lot and sweating a lot. And he asked me if I cried a lot. And I was like, no, but I sweat a lot. <laughs> and he said, you know, and, and this is widely known. He said, the biology, the texture, the cells in your tears are different than, the te- than what the composition of your sweat is made of. And you need to release both. I mean, it's, it is a very different release that you need to have. Um, and then I also have seen a PhD mindfulness. Uh, she has her PhD in neuroscience, but she was a mindfulness-based stress reduction therapist. 
and she used to get on me about how much I worked out and how I was training my body and releasing that way, but I was not training my mind by sitting on a meditation pillow and releasing that way. Um, and that stuck with me. It will stick with me for the rest of my life. Right. And we 100% need both. The softer one people tend to be a little bit scared of. And that's the one that if we don't lean into it, what takes over is anxiety. Because in order to keep that grief and to keep that kind of emotion at bay, you have to really over control. So the moment that the tears start coming, you know that like, okay, my ego is it, it finally loosened up a little bit. I want to go back and talk about again on social media. Um, Paul and I were were talking about how you've posted a few comments before talking about comparison traps, and you're like, I'm signing off for the weekend um, because of the comparison trap, or I don't want to fall into that. And I experienced that heavily last weekend. I was really taking advantage of the situation of not having to go anywhere. Literally, I could not believe I laid on my couch for, I don't, the whole day, like literally the whole day. (laughs) And then I scrolled through Instagram the whole day. And typically when I'm on Instagram, I'll just, I, I'll watch just like a handful of people's stories and then I sign out. I don't really scroll. I don't engage too much. I don't, I just get in, get out. And that day I went just, I mean, I was in. And I was literally at the end of the day, I was, I started feeling bad about myself. I was like, damn, these people have like the coolest lives and they don't have to like do anything for it. And like, they are just, they have like all this money and all this privilege and all this whatever. And I don't know, you just start making up all these stories. And then I had to take a step back and I was like, what? I don't even know. First of all, one, I don't know what's going on in their life. (laughs) Two, like you can take a picture anywhere and in, in that four by five photo, it can look like luxury. You have no idea what's like or surrounding that. And our brains like to make up the stories of what that could be of this like fabulous, luxurious situation. After that, I was like, hold that shit is real. Like it is really real. It that is. comparison trap is real. And I do not want to feel like that again. That was so just awful. Yeah. Yeah. That storytelling that we like to create is something fierce, man. You know, and, and you, uh, you and me and Paola could all look at one post, the three of us, one post and create completely different stories out of it. And I might know that person. You might not know that person. And Paola might know someone that is, you know, affiliated with that person yet we all take something completely different from it and it's just one post. So I feel you, I hear you. How have you dealt with that with, you know, I think you have boundaries around that. It seems like, like, okay, I'm not going to indulge too much because you know what the outcome of it could be. Yeah. Um, you know, some of it for me is like, uh, I'm, I'm very competitive with myself in business that I want to do better, I want to do more, I want to do, you know, reach. Um, And so I'll give you an example. There's a company in Atlanta that I love partnering with. Um, They've never posted about me and as a brand. And um, sometimes I'll click through to the people in Atlanta that they are posting about. And there's just zero depth to what these women are posting about. It's, you know, they're very heavily filtered and altered and that kind of thing. Um, And yet the brand that, this brand that I really love, I don't think that that's like a core value of theirs is to, I mean, they're inclusive, their marketing materials are pretty inclusive of size, of shape, of color, of age. Um, And so sometimes when I click through and I see the accounts that they're like kind of shining light on and then those people are getting bigger audiences, it kind of rips me up, you know, because I'm like, man, I feel like my content is so much more meaningful and the way I'm posting is um, from my heart and I feel very unseen. And that, um, you and I have talked about the Enneagram before, like as an Enneagram four, I'm like, I just want my art to be seen um, as this extension of myself. And when that is not, um, when there's 
more value placed on audience and look and that kind of thing over like content and heart and depth, I get real frustrated. Um, and so I tend to just kind of like shut it down and go, you know what? I have to focus on what I'm good at and why I'm here and focus on the fact that actually, um, I don't want to be like these other accounts, which is why I'm not. Um, and so I just have to kind of return to like, okay, well, why am I valuable to me? And that's it. It actually, it, it goes back to what you were saying about like, what is the outcome that you want? And then, and then I realized like, maybe they're not reading my posts and like, again, that's not why I'm doing this post. I'm doing these posts for me and whether other people, you know, place value on it or not, I have to go back and go, oh yeah, I didn't write that for them. I wrote that for me. And that has to be such a conscious, intentional practice to remind ourselves of that because we are social beings and we're tribal. So like, yes, I write it for me, but I'm going to get kind of excited when I get a bunch of likes, but then it's that same excitement and, and allowing myself to attach to that. That's on the flip side of it. Also going to bring me down when I don't get the response that I want. Yeah. So it has to be such a conscious process. Yeah. I actually, you know, I, I posted three times in about one hour today and they were all very long posts. And I actually had been off of Instagram for like four days prior to posting today and I really wanted to get off of Instagram again today. And then I thought, you know, that almost seems like cowardly. Like I'm going to post all this stuff and then run away and not respond to people. And I actually do really want to hold space for the people that are taking time to respond. Um, whether it's to say that they're like sad for me or whatever, if I can help them like rewire their thinking of like looking at trauma and the way that we're talking about, or to support them and say like, you know, you went through this too and you're not alone. Yeah, just talking about this is making me realize how we're not going to outrun social media. I don't think it's going anywhere soon. Yeah. We're not going to outrun consumerism. So how do we consciously engage with these, with these things? And not to say that the way that we decorate ourselves, it, it became consumerism, but it did not start out that way. Like tribally, we've been decorating ourselves, whether that, that was with like plant pigments or or leaves. So how do we consciously engage with these things? I think is what this all really comes back to. Like loss and grief are going to be there. Trauma is there. Social media is there. Things that we can buy are there. So, okay. Yeah. Let's relationship with each of them that, that um, actually enhances your life and enhances your experience as a human and doesn't just leave you longing for more, which I think I see that in some clients and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to back up. If it's just, you just want more. I, I don't even know if I'm the right person for you because if you just want more, I want to, I want to talk about this whole, like what is the void? Um, and, and I've had that conversation plenty of times and I know it's, never one that a client likes to have because they don't want to put me in that box of they're like a lot of people will say no no you're just here to help me do this thing that i want and i'm like no no i'm going to help you do this thing that you need and i think that's a those are hard conversations to have particularly when someone is paying you for one thing and you're turning around and saying this is a different conversation actually how do you gauge that how do you know when when you actually you need to draw that line and you realize that what they're doing is trying to fill a hole um, well, that's kind of the beauty of, of my styling work and, and having actually like a medium to work with because your clo the clothes say everything. I don't have to really go in and just, you know, hammer home a point to someone. You're being this, you're doing this. I'm looking at the clothes and going, well, let's see what the closet tells us. You know, like, it's like looking at your skin. You can tell me, I can tell if you've been wearing sunscreen for years or if you've been using moisturizer, if you're hydrating just by looking at your skin and I don't have to make it about like, you're a bad person, you don't know how to keep up a routine. I can just say like, hey, here's what I see, period. Um, and so oftentimes like in the consumerism point, I'll look at them and I'll say, what, it is, what is it that you want? And they're like, oh, you know, stuff like this and this and this and they'll show me and I'm like, so show me what's wrong with those garments. Are they, are they stained? Do they have holes in them? Do they not fit well? Okay, well, let's try some of these on. Okay, so what is it about these things that needs replacing? Well, nothing. Okay, so do you want something different? 
well, maybe I just want something new. Okay, well, why do you want something new? You know, and so it becomes this conversation about the garment and it doesn't have to be so like hard in the pain about them, but it gets around to, I think I'm just looking for excitement because I feel bored in blah, 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 blah. Or I feel like I don't, I don't um, measure up in the office because blah, 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 blah. But it's the clothes are just the medium there that I'm using to get down to that point. What I'm imagining now is that you are in literal, like almost therapy sessions with your clients, because if you do discover that, okay, so if it's not the clothes, you can't help but have it turn into like a session where you really are holding so much space. Because like I was saying, you know, if you figure out that someone, you know, is it's like, oh, okay, well, you really, you're just unhappy in your relationship. So it's like, so what do you do when it gets to that point? How do you handle the, Is it like, okay, Reiki time? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and there are often, you know, there are different scenarios, right? Like in the purge party that I was hosting these virtual purge parties. And, um, one of the, I had like three different sectors that people had to go through and we did it live and it was like, you know, one of them had 58 people on it. So everyone's like, you know, having a drink and going through and I'm like, all right, go through your underwear drawer. And everyone's like, Ugh. <laughs> so many conversations came up around like my husband likes when I wear this. And I'm like, Okay, but do you like when you wear this? How do you feel when you're in it? Because what your husband ultimately wants is for you to feel good. So if that, hopefully, like ideally, right? So if you're wearing this for someone else, like what conversation comes up around that? Um, you know, people said like, oh, well, you know, no one else sees me in this. So like, it's really just me. Okay, well then let's talk about that. Like, why is it important for you to see yourself in a light that is positive? because it affects everything else. Why is your underwear important? Because it's the first garment that you put on every day. So it kind of dictates this like first, it's, it's like food, you know, like what are you putting in your body? What are you putting on your body? And so once it comes down to like, I'm feeling this way, or this is the scenario, I am always asking what is underneath that? Well, what is underneath that? And sometimes people are, I don't fucking know, which I, I get it. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, I'm not, I'm not here for that conversation today. I just want to know that it's going to be okay or it's going to be better or you have a solution. But a lot of times we'll go, what's under that? What's under that? What's under that? What's under that? Until we get to, it's because I don't feel like I fit in or it's because I'm fearful of X, Y, Z or because I have the story about the past. And then, I mean, I don't get out my eraser, but I do get out my sponge and we just start to clean up that story and go, hey, like, this is just a story and we can rewrite it. We can write it through the way we self-express. Um, there are lots of ways to rewrite the story and our, and our personal narrative. And, and I just get to use clothes as, as the medium. I want to talk about life as an entrepreneur because there can be such a fine boundary of, you know, if you're in like a nine to five um, that actually respects the boundaries of a nine to five, you have like that amount of work. You know, it's kind of easier to set up some guardrails around when you're going to relax and when you're going to work. But when you're an entrepreneur, what we've seen a lot is like that burnout of like, you just like, you're your own boss. So if you're not bringing in money, like you're not going to have money. You know, if you're not bringing in awareness, you're not going to have that awareness. So how do you balance creating your business and also taking care of that rest time? Yeah. So I will admit that, um, uh, so I've been in business since 2011, like fall of 2011. And I did not have that balance at all until, you know, pretty much the last year. So it took seven years, seven and a half years to roll into, okay, but like, I'm not going to be able to do this much longer if I don't take care of myself. Um, I actually hired a pricey business coach in January, knowing that if I didn't pay a premium for it, then I probably wouldn't take it seriously. I needed to like really invest. That was part of my saying for 2020 was invest in surrender, like investing, knowing that like, I'm, I don't know what the outcome will be, but knowing that like the investment will be worth it no matter what. And the first thing she had me do was, um, like a digital detox. So I put up a vacation, um, like email for like two weeks and said, I'm literally not answering email for two weeks. And, um, that was super scary because you have to respond to emails to get business. And she was like, Nope, you have to do it. You have to do it. And I felt, um, kind of like when my therapist said, 
you haven't trained your mind. You've only trained your body. I was like, I got this like challenge accepted. (laughs) And so I did the same thing with social media. And then I did the same thing with texting where I was used to get texts till, you know, 1130 at night about all kinds of stuff. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm not giving my phone number out anymore. Um, because I'm not a live hot wire for support. Um, as much as I would love to be, I literally, and I, it, it's like, um, um, the visual I'm getting is like, um, like you're in a boat and the boat has holes in it and it's trying to like hold all the people and float, but there's water pouring into it. And so it's sinking. And so at some point you have to go, okay, I can only hold so many people in this boat and I have to hold myself because I'm the captain. So, um, the boundaries have really been in communication, which sucks because I love supporting people. Um, but I would say once you get that in check, everything else kind of is becomes a more appropriate amount of time to spend on each task in person. And I would say that that's the way that you attract more abundance because the other way is almost like, and not saying this is how you are, but just an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset is a little bit fear-based of like, I gotta, 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 gotta go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how I started was, you know, being at a Thanksgiving table and answering text messages about Black Friday, again, consumerism, got to have it now, 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 more, 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 more. And um, now my clients know that like, I might put together a Black Friday list of things that I think are good deals for the whole week. But like, I'm not going to do, unless I'm advertising that I will do appointments for these things. I'm not doing these one of checkoffs. Yes, no, maybe looks good. Like, no. Um, and also policies in place of, you know, I would literally have written out in my policies, like it is not appropriate to text me from, you know, a dressing room with 17 pictures asking me, which one is your favorite? (laughs) It's not, it's not appropriate. (laughs) Oh my God. That is so funny. I'm going to start saying that to my friends who do that. (laughs) It is not appropriate (laughs) for you to, the policy, if you want to be my friend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, something that I see that's really pervasive when people start, I mean, well, when they come to see me, a conversation that comes up a lot is boundaries at work. Mm-hmm. And people struggle with fear of losing opportunities and their livelihood. And they struggle with guilt. I struggle with built bitchiness. Like, I just don't want people to be like, yeah, she's so nice if you hire her, but she's a bitch if you try to contact her. I'll, I'll, you know, that was like, which is my fear, right? Um, but I think when you are super clear about, um, and I think as a woman, I, ha- I feel the need to explain why, whereas men would just say like, no. But, you know, I am trying to couch things now as, um, I'm truly trying to preserve my livelihood so that I can do this long term or so that I can um, focus on each person that's in front of me and the time that they're in front of me. And if somebody doesn't understand that, then I don't need them as a client. Mm, yeah. Sustainability. That, that is what, I mean, I'm, that's, that's something I, I harp on. I feel like all the time, but until people are ready to receive that message, they're just not going to. Would you say that, it you needed that more masculine approach of go 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 in order to be able to surrender and and to really sit comfortably in this new feminine approach of ease and surrender and trusting and allowing or would you say that knowing what you know now people can start with the feminine and end with the fe- or the balance i guess oh so glad you asked this question Ah, oh, so important. It's so important um, to to look at what your makeup is uh, innately, and then to also look up, look at um, kind of which way you lean toward, almost as a crutch. Um, I felt like my business was such a masculine model for so long um, because I felt like that was the only way that I was really going to make money was to just drive so hard and so fast, and then um, you know then burnout came around and I, I had to be vulnerable even with my clients and say like, I can't work in this manner anyway, anymore. But the good news is I have a better way. 
it's not that I'm going away completely. It's that I'm, I am ushering in a different energy so that I can serve you better. I, I also just did a podcast with Orology. She does um, aura photos, Lissandra Vasquez. And she um, was asking me like how my aura has changed. And I was like, shit, when I started my business, I'd just broken up with this guy I thought I was going to get married to. I cut all of my hair off, like all the way super short. I mean, talk about like masculine drive. I was like, I got this, I'm on my own. I can't depend on anybody else. I mean, I was super spiky attire, very aggressive. And now I'm like so much more flowy and floral and feminine in my approach to everything. And it's just, the, it's the balance. It's the change and the balance of the way I've learned to work and what works for me personally. So do you think that if you were to, you know, start a new business or if you're telling someone, giving someone advice who's thinking of starting a new business, would it be good advice to learn the balance from the jump? Or would you say mm, in the beginning, because I struggle with this, you know, I'm like, mm, sometimes, you know, maybe in the beginning, you kind of do have to put in some like serious hustle. But then the other side of me is like, well, you can also like work and surrender and trust in the process as well. What would you say? Well, I've only done it one way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, I I tell a lot of people that are starting a job, starting a business. um, If they're, if you're in a nine to five, I I say stay in your nine to five because entrepreneurship, not stay in your nine to five forever, but like stay in it while you build your business. Because um, a lot of people don't realize that there's not enough to do in the beginning to go full time. People are like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do this thing. And I'm like, you'll have too many hours in the day. And then you're going to go crazy. Like you don't have enough work to do right now. So I would say, honestly, hustle at both ends, hustle at your day job and then hustle, you know, on on the side until you know that it is 1000% what you want to do and risk everything and quit that job and do that thing and pour all of you into it. Um, I would say do both because it might be that you hit roadblocks in the nine to, while you're in your nine to five that you're like, you know what, even if I were to quit my job, this isn't sustainable. So using that masculine energy, I think to like, make sure to get the fire started and see if you can like keep it aflame and then keep it aflame until you're like, these are competing. I have to jump one or the other. Then you make that decision. Um, and some people might say that's fear-based. I think it's just logical. You know, I, I was doing so many different things when I started my business just to make ends meet. And like the other day I was working on like my taxes and income from different things. So I was like, damn, I remember when my styling income was like an eighth of my overall income because I was working so many different jobs and now it's like 95% of it. So it just takes time. It takes trial and error and it takes forgiving yourself, which is feminine. And it takes, you know, waking up early, which is like early bird gets the worm going to get in it. But I also think about like female warriors and female, um, animals and panthers and things. And I'm like, there can be a feminine fire to you too. And that's what I believe in. Mm -hmm. We can embody both. We can embody both. What made me think of when you said that is like a, a lion who they will run out and go fiercely catching their food or their prey, probably every animal actually in the wild. And then the rest of the time they just spend like relaxing and restoring. And leopards will, will wait um, like by the shore of a river for hours for an animal to surface. And if they don't get it, then, you know, with the mightiest attack swoop of their arms and jaws and all that, um, then they'll wait another several hours for the next one to come. But yeah, it's that, it's that balance, yeah. that balance of both energies. I think the waiting is interesting too, because, um, most entrepreneurs, when they start out, they're not willing to wait for the perfect clientele. They're saying yes to everything. And I talk to women, to entrepreneurs about this all the time. They're like, man, I remember when I used to say yes to everything. And I remember when I used to say yes to everything. And now I'm like, pick and choose because it's not all a good fit. And then it's not worth it for either of us. It's almost just like the amount of energy that you put into hustling. You also have need to have the amount of that energy into patience. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And understanding that it's the long game. Yeah. 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 And you have to make sacrifices. Like you have to make sacrifices on like, you know, I said that yes to this because, and you won't have to say yes to those kinds of clients later on down the road or contracts or whatever. 
Well, we have reached the end of our podcast. I think so. Wow. I know. Did you have something you wanted to add before we close up? We really just wanted to get a a good conversation going on this interaction between the realities of life and the healing process at the same time. And I and you felt like the perfect person to do that because you you straddle both worlds. Thank you. Thank you. I I aim to and I know that it can be confusing to both sides. <laughs> Both the both the, the beauty world and the and the spiritual world. Um, I actually had an astrologist tell me in December, "You're actually here to heal through beauty," and I was like, "Thank you." Because <laughs> <laughs> some people are here to heal through you know the way they paint or the way they sing, and that's art. And I think styling is also art. There's so much to be said about healing our relationship to beauty, because I think that that's also something that's been colonized and and taken from us. And what I see you doing and what I hope that people take away from this podcast and maybe by following you and, and, and seeing your work is that they can reappropriate their relationship to how they decorate themselves and what that means for them and how they show up in the world in a way that makes sense for them and that doesn't mean that they're playing into consumerism, that they do have the ability to, to play in that and at the same time write their own narrative about it. Yeah, yeah it's an exploration really um, more than anything. You know, when you, when you become the author of what it is that you want to write instead of having someone scribble all over your pages, it's a very different narrative and it's a very different way of moving through the world. Right. Just because our relationship to beauty, especially as women, I will say, has been so traumatized over all these years does not mean that we can't take that back and decide what it means for us and to embrace it as a form of, of self-expression beyond beyond the stereotypes and the prototypes of what is beautiful. You just take it and maybe we can run with it and, and express ourselves and lean into more of our healing through it. I'll say one more thing, and that is that I'm a huge fan of lingerie, and I love, love, love how many companies are coming out with plus-size, gorgeous, supportive bras and underwear that um, for a long time that was not on the market um, for women that were not a uh, size 14 or under or even 16 or under. And now there's just, there's a lot being done for women who um, have just been overlooked in that capacity. And it's something that we all want to feel beautiful. And for some of us, that's, that's part of the avenue that, that we take. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for those that desire to take that journey, there should be something there for you. And I'm really glad that there is. Yeah, they should have the ability to feel, everyone should have the ability to feel seen. I think that when you, when you allow yourself to feel seen, that's when you feel the most beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Feeling like you have the right to be seen. I think that's also something that got taken away from a lot of women is that if you don't look a certain way, if you don't present in a certain way, then like you should really hide. I mean, I've had clients literally tell me that like, and I've seen this, that like, you're not going to be loved unless you look a certain way. And I think that's what people get scared of when they see, for example, like maybe your work before they like understand you're like getting in there and you're really actually using it as an opportunity to heal. But people are almost so, so traumatized sometimes by the idea of beauty because they've been fed these narratives that that they, they want to run in the opposite direction and just not even decorate themselves, not do any of that because I was already told that unless I looked a certain way, I wouldn't be loved. And so that relationship becomes so convoluted. And I mentioned this here and there, but my sister is six one, And so even though she's a white woman, she doesn't fall into this stereotypical white little, you know, five, seven and under she is a she's a tall, grand Amazonian woman. She is a grand woman, and um, seeing her struggle um, even now is really heartbreaking. And so, any opportunity that I can to to bring more of her 
um, to bring her more options, um, which started out, my business started out, I was selling accessories. And the reason I started selling accessories was because I knew that all women could wear accessories and all women could put something on and it could change the way that they felt about their outfits and about, you know, what they were accentuating. And still to this day, you know, she loves scarves and she loves jewelry. And so when we find things that really accentuate our sense of self-expression, um, whether they're accessories or shoes, you know, I see a lot of women that have, you know, horrible scoliosis or something, and they lean into another area of expression, you know, another air, another pocket of style. And um, I say, well, let's, let's really get some amazing shoes or let's really get something that is going to like be the PowerPoint of PowerPoint of your outfit. Um, because still, yeah, there aren't options for everything all the time out there. So we're still looking. I wish, I wish I was interested in designing, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You're spreading the message and the healing through beauty and helping to liberate women, which we all need from this narrative that we can't be loved if we're not going to look a certain way and that maybe we can take our appearance and own it for ourselves and, and express our joy through it rather than our fear. Yeah, and the more that we self-express authentically, the more love that's meant for us shows up. You know, the, the, the kind of love that we're meant to attract shows up through how we self-present. Mm, love it. It's so important. I heard another quote today. Um, I really need to get better at remembering names of <laughs> people who say inspiring things. I gotta work, do some more crossword puzzles. But she was saying, women, Jen Hatmaker. Hey. Jen Hatmaker. Wow, I'm so proud. <laughs> oh my God. Um, she was saying, women from an early age, you're told how much room you can even take up. And that's with, it, with your opinions, with the size of your body, with how you move in every single way. We're told how much room we can take up. And we're told that we can take up very little room in order to be accepted and loved and to be this desirable thing in the world that's ever going to be successful. And that plays so deep into the work that you're doing as well, because putting on accessories, like you're taking up space. Absolutely. You did it in um, the Rise and Release at, um, at Delola, right? No, I did. I did an evening at um, the one that you did with Steph. Oh, right, right, right. I was like, I know that you've done, but taking up space is such a huge part of the physical work and the styling work um, that I'm, and people are always like, oh, I, I've never thought of it that way. And when I was at Agnes Scott, I was a women's studies major, and that's like what I studied was how minimized women have been for, for so long. And I, I think that was, again, part of the conf internal conflict that I had of like, okay, do I go into this field of like beauty where women are the most minimalized? Um, or do I go into it head first and say like, let's change the game and how we perceive beauty and how we interact with beauty. I don't think I really knew I was doing that back then, but I'm understanding that now. Yeah. One step at a time, the path unfolds if you trust it. It's, and it, it's so cool because again, going back to what I said that we were, we were watching, um, Peter Levine and Vessel van der Kolk talk about trauma and we cannot heal trauma if we don't feel comfortable in our bodies and we're not going to let ourselves be seen and we're not going to allow ourselves to hold, to take up space if we are afraid of the attention that that's going to bring if having attention on us felt threatening when we were young. So as we start, so as we start to step out into that and seeing that like the world didn't end and you're able to express yourself a little bit more and you can start to kind of, I mean, because truly to take up space, you have to feel empowered and you have to be standing in your own power. So if you start allowing yourself to take up space, that can start to have a, a multi-directional effect of like, you start to also feel your power. Maybe you can take up, practice taking up space before you feel power and maybe the power will come from just doing that. Yeah, that's what I think is really beautiful about physical, spiritual styling work is that you can practice playing in this arena um, and then step by step fully embody it. 
um, I talked about with my business coach about buying these turquoise high-waisted pants, like right when high-waisted things were becoming a thing. And um, my sister was like, what the fuck are you wearing? And, uh, this is when I was in college. And I was like, I just resonate with these pants. You know, like, I don't know. I just really want to wear these pants. And I started wearing lipstick again after years of just like not drawing attention to my face. And, um, you know, it was those steps that I didn't know that I was taking from a soul level to be like, I'm, I'm back. I'm here. Like, I'm still me. I'm still loud. I'm still all these things. And I'm okay. Um, and that was all after I had transferred after experiencing trauma at the first school that I was at. Yeah, because if you think about it, an animal that is afraid is going to hide. Yeah, so um, playing big and playing into that like next level of who you want to be. And um, I think it can be really exciting. Like, and I love a client that comes to me and they're like, I'm just ready to just to just be me. And I'm like, whoa, okay, let's do it. What does that look like in your clothes? Let's find them, <laughs> you know? That's like the coolest thing that you could possibly say. Because I, I mean, I'm just thinking about it in terms of like, I'm just visualizing like an animal that's like walking through the jungle, not hiding. They know that like they can take care of themselves and that they can handle walking through life and they don't have to hide. And you start doing that, people will respond differently to you. And when they respond differently to you, you're going to get the feedback that, oh, it's okay to keep doing this. And so it's another way to also access our healing. And I think that there's, you know, there's another dimension with this as well as when you, there's the one side of like owning your own power and allowing yourself to take up space and being seen. And there's another side of it of owning your power and knowing that by owning your power, you're not going to be hurting anyone else. I remember even when I first started teaching spin years and years ago, like I wore lipstick on the bike and I, I wear hoops for like my trainer, you know, photos. And I'm, you know, if they're like, that doesn't look professional. I'm like, this is my version of professional. It has nothing to do with you. This is not me. Like, this is what I look like. This is how <laughs> I'm wearing. And if that's a problem, then I might not be the right instructor for you, but I'm the right instructor for me. And this is how I self-present. And you know, that's me as a white cisgendered female I cannot imagine, uh, you know, having the struggles of being transgender and being non-white and I mean, all of that and not having the space to self-present. Fuck that. Like what? <laughs> that would be horrifying um, to live in a body uh, and in a world that doesn't allow you to be who you are is, um, sounds like a personal hell. I have this feeling that as women be more and more lean into reappropriating their relationship with beauty, that's really going to shake up the boxes that we put people of any gender into. I completely agree. Yeah. Particularly as we all play with the feminine and masculine energies of like, this is how I feel today. This is how I feel tomorrow. And I'm embracing this and I'm allowing this to play in my wardrobe or play in my self-presentation. Yeah. Well, okay. Now we really have reached the end. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I've just so looked forward to this and gasped when I got your DM to, I was like, oh, yes, how oh, I love them. <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for being on here. We've been we've been talking about having you on for a minute now. And now we're like, yeah, and we're like this is the perfect moment right now with how just open you are and how much beautiful space you take up. Like we need to learn that. We need to emulate that. It, we would benefit the world would benefit from learning how to really start getting into their bodies, allowing themselves to be seen and just being like, "Hey, this is me." And before we close up, we always ask our guests, um, what is your definition of mental health? My personal definition is um, being in a balanced place where I can hold space for myself um, in a dignified way, um, which means I can unravel and still feel dignity and I can experience um, levels of joy that I don't feel ashamed of for silly or for being giddy, like that I fully express and feel the joy that I desire to feel. Um, and then come back to the balance of neither are, are forever. And um, 
you know, you have to just take each moment at a time and feel each moment equally and um, not favor, you know, leaning towards doomsday or living in a world where you're not in touch with reality. I love that. I've never been asked that. So that was just very off the cuff. I hope that that made sense. Now I'm like, I wonder what everyone else has said on the podcast. (laughs) I secretly, every time we ask someone that, I'm always like, man, I hope no one ever asks me this because it's so hard. It is. It's hard to put it into words because it's such like a, it's so personal into like, you have to really see your, all of your journey from the second you were born to right now and bringing that all into a sentence. So it is, you know, we will give you, like, it's a hard question to answer, total sense. but that made total sense. And that was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Valentina said, it's such a personal question. And that's what we hope to do by asking everybody that is also to take the narrative back on mental health. It's not, it's not some... I know that there's a book with diagnosis in it and all that stuff, but humans are so much bigger than that. And we are way more complex than a book with multiple chapters in it. You cannot, so taking that power back and redefining how, how do I know when I feel healthy? Yeah. 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 I think the, the feeling both sides of the spectrum uh, with dignity and then, and then finding your balance in the middle and, and accepting that, all emotions come and go in our waves. Um, staying in touch with your center is probably the most important thing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Thank you, Lillian. Thank you so much, so much for being with us and chatting with us. It's so nice to see your face. It's an honor to be here with you too. Thank you, truly. Thank you. So and much. we will be releasing this on Monday. Oh my gosh! So, uh huh. <laughs> Yeah, so stay tuned. You will hear yourself on Monday. Mom was like, can I watch this live? I know how much you love them. And I was like, it's not live. It's a recording. (laughs) Soon we'll get to the live. Tell her stay tuned for episode uh, round two with you. All right, my love. Thank you. Bye, darlings. Bye. All right, Pretty Mental fam, we hope you enjoyed this podcast with Lillian as much as we enjoyed recording it. We love you guys, and please remember to be kind to yourself. Stay tuned for our next podcast, Mondays at 8 a.m. Eastern Time.